Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. My name is Nick. That is Chris. It is July the 15th of 2020. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You know what that means? It's... What does that mean? Well, if I remember the poem, remember, remember the 15th of July... (laughs) Yeah, it was a really bad poem, but yeah, it didn't work. The syllables are kind of off, and I, I, I don't. What was with July? Of uh, the gunpowder in air rockets. Um, I don't know. I, I'm guessing it was. I'm guessing yeah. it's a very important day, though. They must. It must have been one of those weird New Age poems that doesn't actually connect to anything. It was like gunpowder, treason, and etc. And you're like, you just gave up. You're a fuck. Yes. Nick, Actually, that's a closer that's a closer rhyme than remember remember the the fifteenth of July. <laughs> uh, I would like people, to... are, people are going to message us like I'll have you know that this was a very important day. And was, I, was, I claim ignorance and stupidity. My bad. <laughs> I want to I want to start the talk of this, Nick, uh, and just mention if you are not watching Doom Patrol, you you should be. And okay. I am stunned I'm not hearing more people talk about this. It's now on HBO Max, which you can watch it more easily there than the DC app that I don't I don't know if anyone had. Uh, but Doom Patrol is the craziest, most bonker things I, I've ever watched before in my life. Um, it's the dumbest thing you'll ever watch in your life. Okay. But not so – not dumb that you'll hate watch it. Dumb, like you're gonna kind of enjoy watch it, but at the same time, there's a little bit of like this is the dumbest thing on television. Um, I know that there is a talking street, which is actually a real character supposedly from the Doom Patrol comic comics, but it's a street that talks, and there's a roach who believes that it's a descendant from the future to usher in, like, be a herald of God's power. And then it grows really big, and it makes up with a rat. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, a baby gets punched. It's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, check it out. So there's your recommendation for the week, guys. Mm-hmm. Doom Patrol. I have nothing to highlight on This Week of Manga, so... Uh, I mean, that's not as crazy a thing as it would usually <laughs> be for you to say. This was a... This is a pretty light uh, week for manga. Uh, we did not get One Piece uh, due to uh, complications from COVID-19. We did not get My Hero Academia. As changes are being made uh, with the staff of that series to make sure that uh, uh, no one gets infected. Um, and uh, there is a chapter of Eden Zero, which we cannot read uh-huh. because Crunchyroll's manga program is garbage. It just is. Uh, and there is not a chapter of Spy Family either. There's just a picture. So, so a lot of the stuff we would normally talk about, we don't have to talk about today. So it's weird. We actually have a, a manageable, I think, twelve series to talk about this week. Yes, and that feels so digestible. Yeah, remember when we could do stuff in an hour? Maybe we could maybe we could do that if we really rushed. <laughs> it feels impossible to me that there were WMRs we did in an hour, but yeah. We it used to be our Th- thing like we would just hammer it down to that amount. So Is it does it mean we've gotten worse at our jobs? I mean, we asked people if they wanted us to go on for longer and they said yes. So yeah. it's your fault, not mine. Yeah, exactly. Not ours, I should say. <laughs> so 
All right. So I guess then we'll kick things off with actage. It's actage scene 120. A chapter title I cannot find. Living, Living together. together. There it is. So we kick things off with uh, Kay already in the house with uh, Ren and Satsuki as they are uh, have officially begun their experiment to try and get inside of Manami Yamashima's head uh, and uh, play her properly. And uh, so we start things off with them kind of you know, just eating breakfast together. Turns out Ren is getting out of doing all the chores by challenging them to rock, paper, scissors, which she is somehow insanely good at. Uh, they claim that she cheats. I'm not sure what other explanation there is beyond pure blind luck. Uh, but, yeah. Um, they try and make a plan. And uh, Kay says, okay, if we're going to do this, I want to see how Satsuki is going to portray Manami. Uh, so we're going to read through the script. We're going to exchange ideas. And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that then. Uh, we get a bit of background on Manami's life uh, and her upbringing and stuff. Get a bit more uh, exposition on how uh, her mother had been uh, a narrator for silent films, but her mother died. Uh, and so then we come to a turning point in her life in 1936 when Manami is eight years old. The Shokiku Kamata Film Studio moved to Ofuna Kamakura, where Manami lived. And so Sasuke is reading through the part in the script, and she goes, Oh, wow, a film studio. We're going to have a film studio in our town. Mother must be telling me to become an actress. And so Kay is analyzing uh, Sasuke's portrayal. She's like, yeah, her delivery is great. And uh, and she's, like, delightful. She's charming. Um, so, and she thinks about, it like, oh, wow, you know, she's only two years older than my little siblings, but she's actually a, a professional actress. That's, that's kind of crazy. But then she says... You're too cute. And Satsuki is like, well, I'm, I'm being serious here. And Ren just starts laughing. But uh, Kay explains, your acting is too beautiful. And Ren kind of si actually silently agrees uh, and thinks to herself that, you know, in the Japanese acting industry, you know, child actors, they have to be cute. They're all playing adorable characters. So as you mature out of those roles, it's an e it's a difficult habit to break out of, you know, where you're going, ah, cute. And then you actually suddenly have to play dramatic roles or anything outside of that very, very cutesy uh, mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, all, all child actors, I feel like, have that phase where they have definitely. to go from being cute to being tolerable. Yes, that is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Ren's like, all right, well, what's your freaking plan then? You know, what are you going to do about this? Uh, so Kay proposes that they go somewhere and they're like, all right, where to meet Manami. And they're like, what in a creepy way? And Kay's like, no. And so, uh, <laughs> card cut to them in the cemetery. They're like, I asked, this was creepy. And you said, no, I'm like, yeah. And Kay just looks it? at them and Kay just looks at them and it's like, what are you talking about? This is perfectly normal to do. Yeah. What's creepy about cemeteries? She's got like a shovel with her. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't bring shovels. You had that on you. <laughs> we didn't stop at any, <laughs> any hardware store. <laughs> so Satsuki says, so are we going to talk to someone who knew Manami in the past? And Kay's like, no, they're all dead. So, <laughs> uh, so, she says, we're going to have you look within yourself 
to connect with Manami when she was a child. We're going to go visit a place that that Manami saw as a child. In fact, we're going to go to that same film studio that is the you know point of that scene that you just read from. And uh, they go there, and um, the studio is no longer there. It's just the street intersection because it was torn down. So like, all right, well, I'm not sure how we're going to do this. And Satsuki's like, yeah, this is you know completely different from what Manami saw. Um, so why don't I just you know go home and we'll read from the script there. But Kay is a little bit further down the street and she's staring at the site where the studio used to be. And Satsuki's like, what is she looking at? And Kay says, wow, just like is in the script. And she's kind of staring with this like just shocked look of wonder on her face. And we see from Kay's perspective, she is projecting the studio out into her own field of view. And Satsuki is realizing that this is what she's doing just from watching her from you know, several dozen feet away. And uh, Ren understands this as well. And Satsuki flashes back to how Kay went for a run in her mind when they were shooting the commercial before and what Arisa had instructed her to do. You know, you don't need to imitate her, but remember that this is one kind of actor. And Satsuki now at this point realizes I couldn't imitate her doing this, even if I wanted to. Um. And also she's reflecting on her vow not to disappoint the others uh, and realizes that, oh, this is kind of a bigger promise than I realized I was making at the time. But Kay kind of snaps out of it and says, hey, you know, it's it's, it's going to be all right. You have your own way of doing things. And, you know, when I was a child, I never thought of becoming an actor. So, you know, to have that dream and realize as a child that I think makes both you and Manami special and similar. So I believe in you. But Sasuke suddenly gets broken up and just says, my mom told me to be an actor. And so she's like, I didn't want, I didn't have this childhood urge. This, my mom wanted me to do this for myself. So I really don't know how Manami felt. And she starts crying when she realizes this. So Ren starts uh, comforting her and she's like, hey, hey, it's all right. And she kind of tells over the sidelong to Kay this is the first time that she has witnessed a talent she can't mimic because she's still a kid. Uh, but Kay kneels down in front of Satsuki and says, people have the hardest time understanding their own feelings, but you have to, to be an actor and you just got to step closer to Manami. now that you've realized that, or would you prefer not to be? But Satsuki gets this determined look on her face and she kind of glares through her tears and says, no, I want to be one. And one day I'm going to be at the top of the acting world. And that's basically where you end the chapter. So, more more giant steps being taken towards making Satsuki an actual character uh, in recent weeks with actage and very nice. So it's nice. It, it, there's a bit of an oddness to it where you kind of almost start to be like, I kind of want to follow, follow her as the main character instead of Kay a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it seems fun. Um, I'm wondering, I guess we're not going to be getting a long amount of content in this bit because they they pretty much clearly kind of established that shooting is going to happen real soon. So I'm it sure there'll be stuff like happening. end of the week, yeah. Yeah, so. so I don't think we're getting too long in this little detour, but... Alright, this is the chapter. Uh, again, Eden Zero is not loading for us, yep. so we're... we're we'll, Spy family! Yeah, we'll talk about it next a long, week. intense discussion, Chris. <gasps> uh, okay, yeah, there was a lot of... Chapter of spy, 
There's no, there's no actual chapter spy family. It's interesting. Interesting. The idea of a chapter that is no chapter, a chapter deconstructed in a way. Uh, it's a very best pretty, chapter of the week. It's a very pretty two page spread of uh, uh, the family on the beach. Yep. So it's fun times. Very nice. Uh, no Eden Zero because Crunchyroll. Uh, Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Chapter 77. Ring, ring, ring. Goes the trolley. Ding, ding, ding with the bell. Sing, sing, sing with my heartstrings. From the moment I called you my gal. Question mark. Ring, ring, ring with the doorbell. Buzz, buzz, buzz with the saw. Bang, bang, bang with the gun. Devil, gonna kill you all now, Dal. (laughs) That's very impressive. I was kind of like making it up in mid syllables <laughs> at certain points. I was like, yeah, I can do this. You deserve a round of applause. Not for me. My hands are very tired, but. So the doorbell is ringing and uh, Denji had that flash. Don't open it last chapter. But at that moment, the phone starts ringing as well. So Denji's like, oh, got to answer the phone. But power points out to him. Aren't you going to answer the door? And then she says, just give me a minute and don't, don't open the door. Uh, so he answers the phone and Makima's on the other end. And she says, have you seen the news? And he's like, no, nah, I just woke up. Okay. Short version. The gun devil appeared without warning. We failed to defeat it. It took over a dead body and got away. That gun fiend is now ringing your doorbell. And then she's like, why would the gun show be up? And why would the gun guy show up in my front door? And uh, there does not appear to be a response to this. So Denji's like, okay, well, yeah, you can count on me. It's a good thing that, you know, he came for me instead of the other way around. All right. Uh, she says in response, don't think about anything while you fight. So Denji hangs up the phone. By the way, the entire time that they're that they're having this conversation, all across these pages, there's a constant ding dong, ding dong, ding. Dong. Just like one of those assholes won't take the fucking hint. Stop ringing. No one's home. <laughs> Power wants to know why the hell they can't open the door. So Denji says, uh, "Apparently, there's a gun fiend out there." And Power is like, "What? No, there isn't. I'm talking nonsense. You're such a fool." Top knot guy still hasn't come home, right? So he's ringing the doorbell. Isn't that right, Aki? I mean, she's not wrong. <laughs> the doorbell stops ringing. And Denji says, Power, you should take Meowie and leave from the balcony. And she's like, why? But he just, you know, says, Power. And she agrees to. And she goes out onto the balcony and, and leaves that way. And then she's like, okay, it's just in case. There's no way a stupid gun guy would bother to greet me, right? Ms. Makima's playing a prank. Isn't that right, Aki? And he opens the door. And hey, look, it's Aki. It's fine. It's totally fine. Oh, he's got guns coming out of it. <laughs> yeah, he's got a revolver uh, nozzle just fucking jutting out of his forehead. And his missing arm has been replaced by an assault rifle. So that's cool. Uh, so Denji just looks at him for a second and is like, oh, she was serious. Oh, okay. Um, so do we fight or, and Aki lifts up his gun arm, 
says Denji's name. And Denji, of course, doesn't recognize him because there's a gun barrel coming out of his face. That can make it very difficult to recognize someone's facial features, I bet. We then see, from Aki's perspective, himself as, like, a kid um, of indeterminate age, let us say, standing on a, in a field uh, of snow. And uh, he's, you know, shivering and cold, but then he spots Denji. And he's got a snowball in his hands now. And Zaki's like, oh, okay, it's a snowball fight. He throws a snowball at Denji. Meanwhile, in the real world, kablang! That is a very big bullet. <laughs> it strikes Denji with such force that he is bisected, and it sends him flying out the window and tears off all the doors in the apartment. Denji goes crashing out of the apartment, Power, who has gone outside, as instructed, looks up and goes, My apartment! <laughs> you don't pay rent. <laughs> so, Denji's like, Power, it was the gun fiend! <laughs> so he starts to rev himself up, and is like, It was the gun fiend! And, and, and Power just says, That's not possible, though. Because it, it was Aki's scent in the entranceway. And Denji is like, don't lie to me right now as his buzzsaws start to emerge. But Aki comes out and uh, pounces on Denji. Uh, and Denji is left kind of protecting power and Miaoi with one arm while he's trying to stave off Aki with the other. And that is where we leave off uh, this week. So, yeah, um, yeah, this is uh, not looking great right now. No, it's a very uh, tense situation. It- the part that scares me the most, I'll be honest, I really want to make sure that cat stays okay. Really, that's like my number one focus. So I was like, hey, if power has to die, so be it. But Meowie better immediately go to a great home right afterwards. I don't, I don't want some ambiguous shit that who knows what happened to that cat, all right? I need to see it being petted and loved. Meowie is incredibly calm and chill during this chapter. <laughs> like, there's buildings exploding. He's being jostled around. And he's just like... No, no reaction, no hair raising or anything. So it's a good. He's a good boy. So, <laughs> all right. Are you ready, Chris? Oh, I'm always ready. Bone collection. Bone collection is ready. Chapter eleven. I want to learn. We are introduced to the Sakurai siblings, San and Runa. Who have appeared before Pyra and Kazuma? Kazuma? Kazuma. I think that's it. And so they're like, Master Akifuyu told us to teach you how to use the yokai spell. And they're like, okay. And then San is like, this sucks. Master Akifuyu said she captured a yokai spell. So I was excited to meet you, but you're just a kid. And it's like, well, they're younger than them, so that's the joke, I guess. Then Runa whispers to Sign, is like, oh, yeah, you too, huh? He looks like a roach you'd find in the bathroom. And they're like, she didn't just say what I think she said, did she? I mean, yes, apparently. Do you have ears? Do they work? Yeah. So. Pyra tries to bully San for, you know, being assholes to them. Uh, and then she grabs her by the hat specifically. Yeah, it doesn't come off. That that hat is part of her head. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, just like uh, I was gonna call her the Prince Princess Toadstool, but that's the actual princess. Uh, what's the fucking name of? Okay. It's gotta have a longer name than that. Toadworthington or something like that. I mean, there are a few different toads with different names. You, I... you could go with to- you could go with Toadette because the okay. mushroom. Okay, Toad Toadworth is a character. Toadsworth, yeah. Yeah. All right. All's coming together. Son, flash steps behind Pyra, and then is the kicks her in the back. I think it's 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 off in the background when she actually lays in the kick, and then she knees Kazami in the gut. Pyra recovers and tries to punch. Runa counters, kicks her in the face. Pyra's face makes an expression that is unlike anyone who's ever had their face kicked. But uh-huh. uh, I th- she took that kick like a champ. Cause that's not a that's not a that's not a face you would normally make when you're getting kicked. So, so Pyra's like, use a bone, Kazami, kick their butts. And Kazami's like, oh. So they they're about to keep fighting, but then San's like, hold on, I just got a call from Akifuyu, and she starts to be like, oh, Master Akifuyu, yeah, we found them. No, we're not fighting. We're gonna teach them. Yeah, yeah. And then hangs up. Oh yeah, so let's do this. And they're like, oh. She's a suck-up. Yes, that is what she just did there. Yes. So they go inside, and they have tea together. Uh, and uh, so San's like, in preparation for your upcoming assignment, you have to make your yokai spell stronger. And Kazami points out, well, wait a minute. How can you guys use the yokai spell? You're, you're sisters. So how is that possible? And so San's just like, my sister Runa is part fox. When she was little, her body became host to a fox yokai. So she's half human, half yokai. Yep, that's all right. That's a new okay. element to add. That's uh, very, very briefly like she's part yokai. <laughs> it works. It Which, works. If I recall correctly, was a bad thing because like you turn into a yokai when you use the yokai spell. So I guess that they're fine, but whatever. So she uses the yokai spell in order to help exercise the fox's spiritual energy. So they're still looking for a way to extract the fox. And since their assignment is to eliminate QB, the prisoner who escaped, hey, it all lines up. Isn't that nice? Uh, but we have to bring you along because that's Master Akifu's instructions because QB super strong. You'll, you're going to die if you don't train. So if you guys get in our, in our way, you're going to cause trouble. So you have to learn about this spell. And then she taps into Pyra and kind of like just touches the table with her finger and breaks it. And nobody's like, hey, don't break the fucking table, asshole. You're our guests. They're like, are you buying us a new one or yeah. are you just rude? Is that what's happening? Because <laughs> what you're doing right now is rude. So she explains like the yokai spell not only weaponizes spiritual injury, it can also make your body stronger. Because I'm like, you can do that. That is literally just what she said. Yes. Uh, but Pyra's like, I'm not going to be part of this. This sort of trickery won't stop the fox. Kazami will die, so I won't allow it. And they're just like, well, you have to do it because that's your order as an exorcist, so you have to do it. So anyway, here, stick your hand in her boobs. Blah. Stay that way until we get to the prison island. And this way, you'll be able to take in more energy. And uh, she's like, in other words, get lovey-dovey. I don't. Under uh, so I understand why his nose bleeds because uh, whatever his name is is a pervert. That was yes. established early on. Why is he crying though? I don't understand why there are tears coming out of his eyes. I understand being shocked, 
But are you so scared at the idea of of this this situation that you're like I'm all uh, involuntarily just sobbing now at the very same time that I'm aroused? Uh, it is because um, he wouldn't have looked ugly enough if just his nose was bleeding. So they added in the crying to make him look even uglier. Because when all else fails in bone collection, make a fucking ugly face. So there you go. That was probably the that was probably the logic. So they're gonna go set off with Kazami's hand sticking directly into Pyra's boobs. Uh and Runa tries to get San's attention, and San's like, Yeah, I know. And she looks down at her palm, which is like covered in blisters. And is like, how does he withstand that huge amount of spiritual energy with his bare hands? Who is he? Uh, presumably, the implication here is that her hand was injured when she touched Pyra earlier. So the fact that Kazami feels nothing when he is holding her bones and stuff is an indication that he actually has talent as an exorcist. That is, he's able to do this so well. Anyway, we cut to the Yokai Prison Island ten hours ago, where. Uh, there's some sort of sea spirit thing who was a prisoner, and she's like, ah, good job, Master QB. If you keep on killing humans, you can draw out the fragment and become the Juby. And even the ruler of the Yokai world, the great Tengu, would be defeated. Ah, oh, my head's been destroyed. And the QB is just like, you gotta drink big after having killed this person. Whatever. Let's catch my fragment. And then we cut outside, and it turns out the girl with the glasses that was encountered last chapter, the, the, the hottie at Kazami's school, oh, she's on her way. What? She's on her way when she had a ticket to this prison? How is it possible? Who could have seen this coming? Anyway, she's on her way. Nick, and only all- a, a certain level of story crafter can create a web this intricate. Uh, Scorsese, Nolan, uh, Oda. These are the people who can who can tie all these threads together. Add, hold on as I scroll for Bone Collection's author's name. Kira Razaka. That dude, or person, I don't know, to that list. Because they teased us last week with a ticket that could go to a prison, and wouldn't you know it, they're there too. Uh, so. Also, one yokai general guy who's obsessed with samurai is going, apparently. So Hell yeah! Everybody's uh, here. The whole gang. All my favorite characters of Bone Collection. I, I I love how we get this whole thing of like check out who you know these villains uh, that are going to be part of this arc. And as soon as they're introduced, we get a whole like oh one of them killed uh, a, a, an evil underling. It's like it's the, the very first thing they did. He doesn't even get angry. He just is like yeah you're an idiot for pointing <laughs> out that I was that you're an idiot for realizing what I was trying to do basically. <laughs> Uh, so I want to I want to uh, just mention something real quick. So I mentioned I think it was just last week that I, w- I was attending to catch up on all the series that we that are in Jump, and I've done that now with the exception of Haikyuu. Haikyuu is is like four hundred chapters, and mm-hmm. I mean I think I've read like a hundred and sixty or something like that, but that's still a lot of chapters to read at once. So I will eventually try to get through it, um, and I do know but... that it's ending next week. But I read everything else. And my general thought was, wow, a lot of these series are actually really good. Matami, Matama, Spirit, or no, Security, Spirit Bus, yeah, whatever the whole full name is. That was a great series. We shed all over it when it first came out. That got to be a legitimately good, fun comedy with a bunch of, like, really cool characters. 
Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen, I have no idea how we didn't pick it up because it's basically Bleach Jojo down to the fact that chapters are incomprehensible gibberish most times where something happens at the end. I think it was uh, my fault. I think I didn't like it. So. That's that, that's fine. Uh, Bone Collection. I, I really got through everything and I thought, wow, there really isn't anything bad in Jump right now. And I was like, all right, Bone Collection. <laughs> all right, Hard Boil Cup. <laughs> all right, <laughs> RoboCo. I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to mind catching up and, and following along with all these other series. But I'm going to tell you, it is going to be hell in the world. To continue to follow up on Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin, it feels like. Speaking of. <laughs> chapter 3 of Hard Boiled Cop and Dolphin, The Crimes of the 95%. So, we get a flashback at the beginning of this chapter where basically Orpheus was explaining to Shark, to Samijima, um, you know, how many people... How many things are in the ocean? He's like, hey, how far into the ocean do you think human law extends? And Samajima's like, I mean, even international laws are subject to international law, law, so everywhere. And Orpheus is like, what about five meters deep? Ten meters deep? And Samajima's like, I mean, that's not... If you, you ask me how far, not how deep. Is it, or does it go as deep as the Japan Coast Guard Special Rescue Team is allowed to go? 60 meters. No. If you ask me, I say the second you set one foot into the ocean is the second you've left the land of human jurisdiction. And uh, we cut back to the present where there's an octopus guy with tentacles writhing out of his mouth. And some of you are just like, well, yeah, but we aren't in the ocean right now. An amazing reaction to the circumstance that he's in. Nick, I'm really sad about this series. Why? Because it I love the general aesthetic of like aquatic creatures. Water levels are usually like my favorite levels in video games. And it feels like there's so much to do with this premise. And this is the most, without a doubt, the most boring series to read a jump. I don't understand how you have a dolphin cop and he barely shows up. I think that the problem with this series is it wants you to know that it's funny mm. it would be what much funnier if it just went full-blown police procedural with bad boy style action but one of the cops is a dolphin and they take down sea criminals if it just went completely absurd with the premise and let the the circumstances and the absurdity of the circumstances speak for themselves in order to let you know it was funny as opposed to Samijima trying to tell jokes or trying to sell the absurdity of the moment by going like, well, this is weird. It's so, weird because we, we, you know, between Beelzebub and well, I guess just Beelzebub. I know Hungry Maria was the thing, but I don't think we read it past the first three chapters. So I don't know if we have too much of an opinion there. But I I did remember Beelzebub occasionally having funny moments. And there are small moments here. But I, it's just the premise that's presented and the premise that is kind of in the details that you can see. 
are two wildly different things. Like, you really do. You're like, oh, wow, there are going to be these two goofy cops fighting ocean crime and not like crimes on a boat and shit like that. Like, actual, like, fucking, like, shark mobsters and dumb shit like that. Like, oh, man, this is going to be like a Michael Bay movie every week. And then what you're getting is just a character who's called, like, the rebel cop, <coughs> but he doesn't actually have that much of a personality being the straight man to a bunch of other characters who aren't particularly enchanting in any way, shape, or form. His character appears to be <clears throat> delivering CSI Miami one-liners or attempts at them, but they're not even good one-liners. So You also have to sell that a lot better, too. Like, oh, yeah. The joke always in CSI is that the camera stops on him, zooms, he does some big dramatic motion like putting on his sunglasses – then says something really inappropriate, like someone got to get it, like decapitated. He's like, looks like they finally got ahead. Yeah, or whatever. You got to like stop and really sell it. So yeah. it feels like it's not even nailing that part. So the octopus guy wraps himself up in his tentacles and then he goes after revealing himself. And Samaji responds by going, now is not the time for some game of peekaboo. It is wholly inappropriate to the situation for him to uh, be taking this course of action. You're right. It is kind of not the time for it. Chaco, however, responds by also doing peekaboo scares to the guy, which is pretty weird. Uh, and then eventually Samajia gets sick of it and kicks the guy in the face. And uh, then he realizes that the guy's tentacles are writhing around really powerfully. He starts knocking around a bunch of stuff. Uh, Samajima has uh, Nanase uh, get Chaco to safety. Uh, Orpheus gets up from where he was blown away and he's like, Oh no, his explosive evolution has already begun. Run, shark! He's, but uh, a tentacle comes flying out towards Chaco and Samajima just kind of punches it and knocks it into the ground and uh, nothing happens. And then he's He's got his police baton out, and he's like, this part of the job is for us police officers, kid. Uh, this gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, catching a slippery perp. So he starts fighting the guy, and uh, he swings his police baton really, 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 really quickly uh, and tearing the uh, tentacles apart as he does so uh, until, like, the guy's tentacles have all been torn to shreds, and he's just kind of left like with, like, a tentacle stump sticking out of his mouth. And then he's like, oh, hey, Finhead, what were you saying about this guy? And Arthur's is like, well, he's an explosion-loving octopus who quasi-evolved into a person. In other words, he's an exploding octopus ball man. Every bit of him could be explosive, even just the bits and pieces of his tentacles. So Samuji was like, oh, no, I did I did a bad. But Arthur's is like, all right, at least hold perfectly still. And he dives up out of the water that he's in, and he just does this, like, palm grabbing takedown uh face palm grabbing takedown on the guy the impact of the takedown launches all the guy's tentacles up into the air where they explode harmlessly uh and yeah they they, they take they take the guy down hooray we get narration talking about like a mere 10 percent of 10 million species on planet earth are terrestrial the remaining 9 million plus are primarily aquatic in nature and so far those 9 million humanities only observed five percent that means the remaining 95% are completely unknown. Okay. So they take the octopus uh, guy in uh, to get his statement. 
And he's like, yeah, the old man lets trash from his house float out to sea, and it stinks up my the front of my house. Okay. So Orpheus lets him go to be like, just don't do that again. And let's sets him free. And uh, time goes by, and Orpheus is like, something's not sitting right with you, shark. And somebody is like, well, first of all, why is, why is the octopus exploding? And Orpheus is like, well, this is the front lines of the war against ocean crime. And Chaka comes running towards them. She drop kicks Samajim in the face and is like, good work, Shark. And Orpheus is jealous because Shark got praised and he didn't. And they're like, well, what a day we've had. And we get narration <laughs> saying, just mentioning Shark and Dolphin will eventually be enough to send the toughest ocean gang running. But that is yet in the future. That's 14 chapters away before we get to that point. Uh, so here's, uh, I feel like a very quick way to start fixing hard boil cop dolphin, uh, get rid of the, the human dude and yes. just get rid of him, put female cop in that role. Cause she's yeah. literally a completely forgettable character. Otherwise she could be the person who reacts to the fact that you already have a straight man, one liner dropping character in the fucking dolphin cop. Who's a much more interesting character to follow. Yeah, he's and got the then, human element, ironically, because of Chaco. Yeah. And, yeah. So. Like, everything you think would be there. Because I actually really like the whole little speech about, like, hey, you know, there are millions and millions of things under sea. And of those 50 million, we've only really actually seen 5%. Like, there is that whole thing that, in reality, there's shit at the bottom of the ocean that we can't even comprehend. Because we just don't understand really what could live there. I don't know, Chris. I don't know if you can have a muscle-bound cop of mysterious origins... Uh, with a fin on his head uh, in a comic. Uh, I don't think that you can do that. Uh, that sounds like uh, it would be a very savage endeavor to have to pull off, and you would probably have to to really, really drag on people in order to get them to buy into that premise in order for it to ever have any chance of, uh, of, uh, of surviving. So. Yeah, and I really dread the idea <laughs> of having to judge something like that. <laughs> so, uh, this series I went is to the park the other day. I don't even know where that one's going. And I had to Jurassic out of there. <laughs> just can't okay. do this the rest of the podcast. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, I was having breakfast with Tiff. Now I can't just do the full movie phrase. I have to, have to break it up. <clears throat> so this is boring manga and uh that is why i don't think we should read recap recap no i really i don't want to recap it anymore nick i'm gonna keep reading it i will keep reading hard boiled cop and dolphin you're, you're dedicated to this to keeping I, up with at, everything at, at this point i just want to read everything we're if you're very, caught up with everything you might as well keep going so we're at a very strange time and jump where everything is being translated and yep. delivered so at this point it feels like a cool thing just to follow it all I'm not looking forward to the series each week, but I'm not looking forward to a Gravity Boys each week either. So, you know, kind of balances out. Yeah, this is getting into a weird period in Jump because uh, Yuna was the only series that we weren't getting in the on the Viz app. And that ended a few months ago. And uh, it's also getting into a weird period because I saw people talking about on Twitter that with high Q ending, there's now not going to be any sports manga running in Jump literally for the first time ever, mm. ever. And it's, you know, like. 50 60 year history so it is crazy it is very crazy 
Let's move on to Magu-chan, God of Destruction. Chapter 4, The God of Destruction's First Errand. So, um, Ma Ruru wakes up to find that her alarm clock has been destroyed and it's smoldering and broken in half. And Magu explains that it was emitting a most egregious blaring sound. I thought this would allow you to sleep further undisturbed. So he's a very thoughtful boy, but uh, Rue is very upset with him. So she's rushing around uh, to get ready and uh, to go home. Um, she does the whole there's a bit of food in my mouth thing that, you know, is typical of, you know, girls late for school in manga. Um, that looks like a piece of pizza to me. I'm not sure if that's a piece of toast. I think it's a piece of toast. I think that's what it's meant to be. It could, it could definitely be, and it could very well just be like, you know, some sort of like pastry that is commonly eaten in breakfast in Japan that is not commonly eaten for breakfast here. So maybe, it could it's, be a, a, maybe it's a Pop-Tart. Could be a breakfast roll. Yeah. What if it it's a cinnamon, brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tart? Uh, as if we weren't already the best character. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so... Magu is left confused as he is instructed to watch the house because he's like, I don't understand. I keep on do doing her favors through destruction and she does not worship me. So he tries to figure out, all right, well, what should I do then? OK, uh, I need to find some flesh and blood provisions. The food should be in here. But all that there are, are a couple of mysterious cups. Later that day, Rue is coming home from school. And she's like, oh, I've got those puddings I bought yesterday, and I, I, I can split them with Magu-chan today. So she gets home, and Magu's there, and he has eaten the puddings. And you can tell he's eaten the puddings because his body has taken on a pudding-like consistency for some reason. It's, it's, it's a silly visual. I don't know. So Rue realizes what has happened, uh, checks the, the, the refrigerator, and she smacks Magu so hard that his new pudding consistency causes him to jiggle around and she's really upset because he ate all the pudding and uh, so she pudding shames him uh, ties him up outside with the sign hanging around his neck again so uh, Magu's like alright I gotta do something about this I don't understand why she's not praising me and worshipping me as my servant should so I've gotta fix this so he realizes if I replenish the provisions I partook of, perhaps she will have a change of attitude. I must go on a journey to find these pudding provisions. <laughs> Get narration saying, Magumanuaku, the god of destruction, set off on his very first errand. So I know how familiar people are with this concept, but this is like a, a big like rite of passage for Japanese children. Uh, it's like a thing that like young kids who are like old enough to be allowed to go walk around on their own and stuff like that are sent on a simple errand and it's basically to teach them that they can find their way around on their own and also if they get lost then people in society will be willing to help them uh to go where they need to go and stuff so meanwhile of course in, here in america people were like you let your children go out unsupervised for 20 minutes how dare you <laughs> so yeah it's true so Magu has no idea where to find the pudding, of course. He comes across Naputaku, and of course he is famished uh, and is trying to figure out a way to get by, but he can't use his voice to take over any more mines, but he's still got the, the hermit crab serving him. So 
they're still hanging around to me. He's like, you guys are useless. Maga comes across him. And of course, he's like, I will never forgive you. If it weren't for you, none of this would ever. And Magu shoots him with his high beams. <laughs> this like full Dragon Ball Z body vaporizing blast knocks him up into the air. So Magu turns to the hermit crabs and he's like, I am in need of natives. Obey my orders instead. Gaze upon the signature of Naputaku in this book. <laughs> he... <laughs> You should serve me. And they're like, oh, okay, it makes sense to me. That's <laughs> uh, just how logic works. I guess we're going to do it. So he, he demands that the hermit crabs show him the way. Meanwhile, back at home, Ruru's like, all right. Was like, she goes outside to call Magu in for dinner. And of course, he's gone. And so she immediately is, gets freaked out about this. We cut to where Magu is. Uh, he's been led to a convenience store. Uh, the hermit crabs have led him true. But the door outside. As they have up. always done, Nick. They have always been our allies. Hermit crabs? Yeah. yeah. Have faith in the hermit crabs. Have faith in crabs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Magu tries to go into the convenience store, and the automatic door won't open for him. So he presses his eyeball up against the door. He's like, oh, force field. Uh, and he starts to get his lasers ready, but he remembers Ruru scolding him. And so he's like, fine, I will. I will find another way to, to to get into the into the building. Fortunately, at that moment, Ren comes along, and uh, so Magu explains why he's out here via yada yada yada, which is very nice. Uh, and so he blackmails Ren to helping him because he's still got the whole, uh, you know, I'll tell Ruru that uh, you like her thing for blackmail. So, uh, Magu, uh, stops Ren when he's about to go into the store because like I acquiring the provisions is not my only aim. It is necessary. She recognize my acquisition of them. So I must deliver them myself. So we cut inside the, the convenience store worker is upset because it's a slow day. All he wants to do is get out there and join it and, uh, you know, make a band and play guitar in Tokyo and stuff. But uh, no one's going to let him. His mom doesn't believe in him. Nobody believes that he can do this. So he just thinks to himself, I just wish something out of the ordinary would happen. And that guitarist name's Nick. Tom Hanks. Didn't work that (laughs) well for him. He went to Hollywood Hollywood instead. So Maga comes in through the door. He's wearing Ren's spare gym clothes. And he has stretched out his body to be vaguely person-sized and shaped. And uh, so he's walking in, and of course the convenience store clerk thinks that he's some sort of weird alien. Uh, And uh, grabs some pudding cups, and uh, he's about to leave, but the clerk says, you're total... And Mug is like, ah, I see. Lowly humans use currency in their society. Where I am from, food and, and, and other such things are free. Come with me and be in my socialist paradise, puny human. <laughs> but uh, he starts digging around into his own body with his tentacles. And it's like, I should have the offerings given me to my, by my chaos cult followers. And a whole bunch of gold coins and jewels and crowns and bars come bursting out of him. And he's just like, this should suffice. Farewell, he leaves. 
And uh, we get a narration saying the clerk quit his job and went out and formed a, a, a death metal band that worships the one-eyed alien Fujisawa because that's the name that Magu has on the gym sh- shirt that uh, Ren lent him. So Magu is outside. He's dragging gym clothes behind him. He's like, as compensation, I shall spare on you one pudding for I am a generous god. He gets home. He's got the pudding. And uh, Ruru rushes over to him. Uh, and before Maga can even say, I have acquired the pudding, she wraps him up in this big hug. And it's like, I'm sorry I kept you outside. I was so worried about you. And Magu is trying to figure out why she changed, had a change of heart even before he got heard the apology stuff. And Ruru tells the story of how when she was a kid, her parents got upset with her and locked her out of the house because she was playing out so late. And I remember my mom opening the door when I cried. I wonder if this is how my mom felt then. And Magu just says, I would not know of that. Behold! <laughs> so, um, they have they have food together, and they, they've made up, uh, and meanwhile, we cut over to Naputaku, and his loyal hermit crabs have brought him the one remaining pudding that Magu grabbed from the store. And, aw, it's, uh, that's the end of the chapter. So a happy ending for everyone. Chris. Yeah, everybody so. wins at the end. So thumbs up. Very nice little chapter. I really, really like this series. So. Mashal. Oh, right. Oh, thank God. I thought we had to talk about Robco. <sighs> Mash Bandit and the Wolves of Magic. We actually start things off at the Bureau of Magic, where Wahlberg has been called in uh, by... I don't know. Cornelius Fudge, basically, I guess. <laughs> so, Car- uh, Caramel Danson, I think, is his actual name. <laughs> no one no one knows Great. if I'm right or not. So. <laughs> so Caramel Danson says six of death row's most notorious inmates have escaped from Hecatris. The prison guards were slaughtered and assisting the escape was none other than innocent zero. None of this means anything to us, but it sounds bad. Yes. Doubt one last time. Hooray. The guy that he blew up somehow landed in a, in a good looking pose for, for some reason. Uh, Despite the fact that Dot has claimed victory, however, suddenly the ground opens up and starts to suck them inside into like into a, like uh, mud holes, basically. And uh, Dot is like, "Wait a minute, we're being sucked into the ground!" But before he can get it out, Mash goes, "Not my cream buff! Someone save my baby!" He's <laughs> <laughs> holding the cream buff over his head to protect his. Attitude with cream puffs seems to evolve and change week to week. They've now become his precious child that he will protect at all costs. That mean that you commit infanticide when you eat them? What are you? <laughs> <laughs> he just starts eating it afterwards. Meanwhile, Lance tries to act all cool, calm, and collected because, like, it's. It, I take it this means our enemies have no intention of like. <laughs> And uh, Finn is just completely losing it. He's like complete, just latching around Doubt. He's going, ah! And Doubt is just kind of watching all this happen, just be like, sometimes I wonder if I'm the normal one. <laughs> You're not, but yeah, no, you can, you can have that. It's an understandable reaction to have after oh, yeah. you see all of this stuff happen, but yeah. I, you know what? I'm really, 
starting to love Lance too. I love that there's just this one. He has no emotion and nothing. <laughs> Nothing is interesting to him. He's spinning down this thing and everyone is screaming something and he's just sitting there like as he's being like pulled through the ground. I, I don't know why, but it's fucking fantastic. His sister's not in danger. He's just like, okay. He's like, whatever. Uh, meanwhile, Mash is going Gucci goo little puff. <laughs> so I don't know why, but it's great. They all land uh, in different arenas. Well, with one exception. Um, Lance, as he lands, feels this like presence around him. Uh, we get this visual of like this horned ram like surrounding him. And he looks over his shoulder at this guy wearing sunglasses. And uh, so, you know, Lance is like, what was that spell? Hmm. Uh, Sunglasses guy's like, I would have preferred to take on the mushroom, but they gave me the double liner. You'd better be worth my disappointment. And Lance doesn't say anything, presumably because that statement makes literally no sense when you think about it. (laughs) As a result of Doubt uh, getting latched onto by Finn, who is still panicking uh, and is gripping around his leg, uh, the two have ended up in the same arena. As it turns out, the two of them wound up in the arena where there are two people waiting for them. That's Uh, very convenient. I like that guy who has a witch's hat and a skull headed staff and a girl with pigtails. And, uh, Finn of course is freaking out because he's like, Oh, they've got, they're, they're both double liners. Oh, my mom, dad, I'm going to die. And, uh, doubts like, don't give up before we've even started. Show him what an underdog can do. And then he's like, side characters, you better watch out. You're facing the main character. So I'm sure everything's going to work out great for him. He's won a fight. I'm sure he's going to win another one. Yep. (laughs) If Chad's taught me anything, you you get more than one. Absolutely. Mash lands and goes, ouchies, as he bounces, because he is the biggest cartoon character. He looks around. He's in a dark hallway, and he's wondering where everyone is. But, ah, the masked swordsman uh, spell ca- non-spellcaster possibly is there to greet him. And he's like, your skills were lo- impressive last time. You're incapable of magic, aren't you? And Mash goes, uh, no, I'm not. And the masked swordsman guy is like, I've made you nervous. What makes you think that? <laughs> It's pretty and funny. Just, and then the guy's like, doesn't he answer? So Mash is like, no, no, really tell me. What makes you think that? Uh, Swordsman guy's like, we're two of a kind. We're both abhorrent to this world. You must have your reasons for being here, but I too have my reasons. Mash takes a fighting pose in response to the guy lifting his sword. And he says, huh, you sound like you think that's enough to defeat me. And so we've got the three fights squaring off Mash against Mast Guy, Lance against Sunglasses Guy, and Doubt and Finn against the pair. So a setup chapter, but a more effective chapter, I think, than last time. It was it, the jokes that it did choose to have were funnier, I think. Yeah. So. I like this chapter a lot. I think it was a pretty fun chapter. Cool setup. Yeah. All right. Let's keep that comedy ball rolling, Chris. <sighs> Can I note how many. Uh, mildly funny comedy series are currently running in jump and it's too many i'm gonna just be clear on that there are too many of them 
Men, uh, uh, A Gravity Boys, Mitama mm. Security, mm-hmm. um, Mari King. Does Ayakashi Triangle count as, or is that no? Just that's just stupid. That's an edgy that, series. That's just yeah. That's that's like erotic battle manga, I guess. I mean, so that's already four though. That's too. That's too many. So yeah. Yeah. Well, then Roboco. Hard nosed cop and dolphin, I guess, is more of an action, but it doesn't feel like it. And then, I mean, I'm I'm not trying to loop them in with the same statement of like dumb or mediocre, but like then you also have Mashal and Magu Chan. It's a lot of comedy series right now on Jump. I'm trying to fan. figure out the best way to actually talk about this chapter. Uh, you, they do the uh, lifting the skirt up joke like three times. Yeah. Uh, um, there's the moment where the gorilla kid actually seems to be kind of funny and cool. And it ends. It's chapter two of me and Roboco. Mako and Roboco. Um, Bondo's friends from last time visit him and they uh, one of them has uh, brought uh, their cutesy maid. And um, there are some jokes before that where Roboco literally she's she somehow like makes a physical form of a new concept, which is just a glowing ovaloid that says new Mm -hmm. concept on it and then physically interacts with it and like can like tries to crush it and stuff. It's, It's an odd one. So anyway, they go. The, the Bondo's two friends come and visit and uh, Bondo tries to send them away. But Roboco is already out there to greet them and is like trying to get rid of uh, Gachi Gorilla. And um, Mako, the robot maid, acts cute. Roboco doesn't. Um, they make fun of Roboco, who uh, gets upset about this. Um uh, um, uh, they make a reference to Jujutsu Kaisen. The second sweat, second reference to Jujutsu Kaisen. There was one last week as well. We're two for two now. Oh, okay, all right. Um, they also make more references to Roboco's uh, Napanese because uh-huh. 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 it's just uh-huh. as last week. Um, uh-huh. a hive of uh, hornets gets disturbed. And uh, they try and command Mako to get rid of the wasps, but Mako is not able to uh, perform any violent activity. So Bondo trips and Roboco immediately springs into action by zapping the wasp with her eye beams. And she just zaps all of the hornets. Um, so I'll say this, Chris. Um, I would buy a Roboco if it zapped every bug that came into my house. Uh, so, yeah. Um, that's it. Roboco is uh, different from the maid robots because she can actually perform violent activities. That is so I guess going towards that that battle manga premise. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look, so I actually don't hate this series. I actually think it is funny at times. There are legitimately moments when this is uh, a particularly funny series. It's just not getting me enough which is my issue. And then the jokes that it does miss on certainly feel so much more exhausting because they're oftentimes the kind of jokes that I, I feel like we get all the time or that 
there does seem to be an effort to kind of move away from some of those jokes in general. Um, so I, I, there's parts of it I do enjoy. And obviously we still have one more chapter before we actually get to the end of this. But I'm I'm not in love with it. And that's I I, I don't want to say a shame. I hope this finds its audience because I don't think it's necessarily as bad as maybe some other series. Um, I'm going to be <clears throat> at once nicer and more harsh than you. OK, uh, I don't like this series at all, but I don't feel any negative any negativity towards it whatsoever. It makes jokes that um, I don't like, but not in the sense of like, oh, that's just like mean or that's callous or that's mean spirited or gross or anything like that. It just makes jokes. And I'm like, OK, you told a joke, I guess. And that's it. And I didn't laugh at any of them. And OK. Yeah. If someone finds it funny. Cool. Yeah, so here's the thing. People are asking in chat. Yeah, after this is done, I'm going to continue reading this as well. Um, I'm 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 just on the mindset that I hope this can find an audience. So, well, if you're going to keep that. on reading it, I would also assume you would hope that it would be funnier. <laughs> <laughs> Look, after like twenty chapters, after hope. yeah, I was like, after twenty chapter of a Gravity Boys, I've kind of reached the point. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it's just going to be bad. It's just not going to be the thing for me. You know what? Whatever. I'll keep reading it. Takes about fifteen seconds to get through a chapter. So, let's move on to Time Paradox Ghostwriter. Ding! Your story progression, I guess, is ready. Chapter 9, After the Blank Page. Tepes have an editor's meeting. And uh, his editor remarks like, you know, I never have any problems with your story bars. They're always so amazingly perfect. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, be strict with them and be professional and stuff. But I really feel like I'm not contributing because they're always so good. By the way, are you okay? And we just get this nearly full page spread of Tepes face. And he's got these... It's he's the shadows under his eyes are so dark and so thick. It's like he applied makeup in order to have an emo rock band in his garage or something like that. Uh, he has not slept at all for presumably eight years somehow. So he presents more storyboards uh, for them to go over. And he's like, oh, wow, this is great. Yeah. Up, yeah. Chapter 45 this is so good. Uh, but then he says Here. Uh, this is my story bar for what happens afterwards in chapter 46. And he thinks to himself as he's presenting it, chapter 45 is the final chapter of White Knight that Izakiyano drew before she died. Uh, so there's this big moment that happens. The hero is on the brink of death. But at the last moment, his powers awaken. He delivers a fatal blow to the enemy. But the enemy's powers awaken as well, exhibiting a new ability. And the battle against this foe was different than any other of the previous ghosts that we'd seen. It was, and then suddenly it just all came to an end. So the rough draft that I'm presenting right now, this is my original material after taking over. So I've done my best to analyze and anticipate. So let's see how this goes. And Munioka finishes going over and he says, hmm, I'm not quite sure about this. And Tepe tries to, you know, sounds like freak the, out. Feels like this wasn't plagiarized. And... <laughs> That's... I've just had this like faint feeling the entire time that we've been working together, uh, Tepe, for the past year that you've actually been stealing this for someone who knows what they're doing. And, I uh, no. <laughs> I was questionable about jump pain to train a parrot to be able to sniff out plagiarism, but this one's losing its mind for the past couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's dead quiet. So now I'm starting to think that it might have been onto something. Are you 
you ridiculous thief caught in some kind of time travel paradox. This is, I mean, uh, we've been working together for a year and the entire time I have had to train my ears to just block out crazed parrot squawking. And so now the silence in this room is absolutely deafening. <laughs> it's really starting to feel like a, a big contrast. And, uh, you know, I start to add some pieces up. Is this why your microwave's always been so busted when I go over to your place? <laughs> he just, are, you, are you getting a jump from the manga from that? <laughs> He like has actually shown up on a few Monday nights, and Debbie's like, "Oh, here it is at five o'clock." He's like, "What are you getting out of the microwave? I didn't know you were cooking. Oh, you shouldn't have. Oh, it's manga. Oh, I love eating manga." <laughs> he's like, "Nope, not manga. It's it's actually cake." It just rips it up. He's like, "Oh, thank God for this cake meme." And then uh, afterwards, I meant steamed hams. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, "Well, I've never heard that phrase before, but uh, I'm gonna go along with it." Uh, it's uh, more of a it's more of a Kansai thing. Well, I'm from Osaka. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, Tepe is like, oh, w- what what's wrong with it then? What w- what part of the storyboard is bad? And Munayoka is like, well, I mean, it's fine. It's g- it's good enough to be in Jump, but I don't know. It's it doesn't feel. <laughs> Up to your usual standards. It doesn't feel stolen enough. <laughs> What's the phrase that should be used to describe it's good enough for jump? He's like, you know, we called that, uh, like, what? what's the most meh series to ever run in jump? You are about to declare war right now, Chris. <laughs> I'm just trying to, hold on, let me, I, I gotta look up a couple series real quick. Because I, I've always used the old crash box term. Riddle Snake, because Riddle Snake was the game that when it came up a crash box, you're like, I'm not upset. Not really excited for this either. And uh I feel like there needs to be a jump equivalent for that. Uh someone is recommending Madaka Box, D Gray Man, No, I know the one I'm looking for now. I just don't remember its actual name. Describe it. Describe it to me. Uh uh, Metallica, Metallica. <laughs> no, they've suffered it up. Uh, okay, yeah, it, Nura, Rise of the Yokai Clan. That's that was a very Nura stuff. Like it, it's Nura level. It's not, it's not great, but it can run a jump. It can run a jump. So that's that's where my mind's at right now. <laughs> this belongs in jump right now. Need <laughs> <laughs> to hold it up, light glowing. Um. So anyway. He basically says, this doesn't go the extra step that goes way beyond what you're anticipating. That's how it feels. And everything up to this point, it just goes so far beyond expectations. This is just like, it's fine. So, uh, and he's, he's like, I mean, hey, you know, like everything up to chapter 45, it's perfect. So you can fine tune chapter 46 and afterwards. There's plenty of time for you to do that. And, you know, I mean, I know you're really dedicated to this. and That's great. You seem like you're overworking yourself. Uh, you collapsed five times on, uh, <laughs> as I was reading. So, um, and he also you know, t- basically gives him the whole like you know buck up. Everyone's not on their A game all the time. So Tepe goes back to uh, their uh, their studio and is working with his with his team and stuff with his assistants and these things. I knew it wasn't good enough. I reread all of White Knight carefully to anticipate plot turns and stuff. I mean, he didn't say you know the characters feel off. He didn't say, did you really draw this? But it didn't pass. And after all of that, I'm far short of the level that Itsugi Aino reached 10 years from now. 
but of course I am. I have no choice but to get better, or else she'll die. Um, she, 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 he reiterates that to himself, and he thinks, oh yeah, also the, the, the magnet refrigerator told me what the lottery numbers were. I should check on those. Oh shit, they were completely right. All right, so I guess that the message from the future was correct then. That means the prophecy's true, which means, oh no, what? how is this going to happen? Uh, I don't have any choice. I've got, I've got to do this at that moment. Uh, I know, comes over to him. And he's like, hey, are you all right? Is something wrong? Because he's clearly freaking out because he looks like a raccoon with the circles under his eyes. Uh, And he's like, oh, everything's fine. What is it? And uh, she's like, well, I think that, you know, look, something's not right here. It's like, is my is my rough model wrong on on this page? And he looks over and he's like, "Okay, well, um, you need like vertical perspective in addition to horizontal if you focus on this and this this and it gives him gives her some tips and then she's like oh i get it thank you well you're a really good artist um and he's like no i'm not i just learned my skills from working as an assistant for a really long time and they're like who was your mentor and he says oh it's nanashino sensei and we're introduced to this person we don't see them yet but apparently they draw a series in universe called vitamin man uh, which is a battle comedy manga. Basically, the easiest way that I could think of it, that I think of it is, it's like Kaneku Man, seemingly. Mm. Um, there's also, obviously, a little bit of Jojo in there um, uh, from, like, the way that the punches are drawn in it and stuff like that. But, uh, so they ask, like, well, Nanashino's a crazy kind of pen name. Are they as crazy in person as their art style looks? And Tepe says, Sensei was the kind of person who would judo throw a hoodlum if there was an altercation in the street. Okay. I assume that's to establish why Tepe is going to get punched straight in the throat when he reveals to this mentor of his that he's been stealing manga for like two years now or whatever, however long it's been. Uh, They reach the end of the day. On her way out, I know drops her notebook and Tepe's like, oh, you dropped this. And he, he picks it up and it, it says Anima on the cover. And he's like, oh, shit, this is the series that she's going to start. Uh, and she's like, oh, no, don't look at that. I'm not I'm not done yet. But hey, will you read the story awards when I'm done? Uh, Tepe keeps on going. He thinks about oh, chapter 46 arrives in seven weeks. That's not good enough. What am I going to do? And. Dark Shadow. His Dark Shadow betrayed him. It left his body, but didn't help him. It's it's turning against him. Oh, Water Temple really is the best temple when you think about it. So good. So so Dark Tepe uh, counters all the Master Sword attacks. But uh, you know the thing is that if you just got that big Goron Sword, it'd be really easy to beat him. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not, <laughs> Why would you have it? Or use Din's Fire. You know, yeah. just have magic. So anyway, basically. Dark Tepe is like, there's no way you can possibly do this. You got yourself into the situation. It would have been better if you had actually destroyed the time machine so you wouldn't be trapped in this situation. And now you're just trusting in this prophecy that you don't know that you can actually trust. Do you really think that you're th- this important that you can actually change the future? And Tepe's just like, shut up! I've got to draw. I've got to draw. I've got to save her. And we time skip again to half a year later. So... We don't know what the hell happened with that whole thing where like, oh, in seven weeks, he's going to come up to this time to this deadline. Uh, So who knows how that's going? 
Tepe doesn't look great. He's still got the dark shadows under his eyes. He's got bandaging around at least one of his hands. But anyway, Aino is saying thank you for everything, and she's getting a chance to run Anima. And Tepe does think to himself, what would have happened if I had actually prevented her from doing that? Would I have stopped her from dying? I actually thought about that, but the prophecy said, I had to win with White Knight, so I just have to win. So the two of them part. I know thanking Tepe for everything he's done for her. And they're like, we're going to compete against each other now. They both vow not to lose. And Tepe thinks to himself, I've got to win and change the future. So there's some good stuff in this chapter. Um, It's a really weird pace that this story has. But I don't know. Um, Some of it's it's, there's like good stuff in it, but it's not being delivered greatly. I don't think so. Uh, I've heard word that. There's a lot of jokes being thrown around about the fact that, like, I guess Jap- uh, Japanese audiences haven't really picked up to the series, and it hasn't been performing great. Like, I think this was the first week that it was like kind of, or second week that it was ranked on its own, and it, it showed up a little bit lower in the rankings. Um, I wonder if part of the pace is just the idea that because there's already like a a, a little bit of like a a build up. That maybe mm. this series is just intended to kind of run shorter, regardless of whether or not it would go on, like like past cancellation. Maybe the idea is like, hey, we're gonna make this a thirty chapter story as opposed to what could have been a hundred and thirty chapter story or something like that. Because it, it really does feel like we're blowing through some stuff. That might just be the pace of the series, but it is definitely seemingly an escalation that feels also like an acceleration. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you say that and maybe this series was never meant to run incredibly long anyway. It seems like it was kind of a, a weirdly paced series from the very beginning. So I don't know. Uh, and Hey, maybe we'll never know, especially if it's not incredibly successful. The details of that kind of stuff might never come out. Yeah. So I guess we'll just see where the series takes us. Yep. It's been fun to recap at the very least. All right, let's talk, Nick, about We Never Learn. Question 166, Sleeping Bet equals Sleeping Beauty of the Literary Force Part 7. So we opened the chapter with a, a montage of the very romantic moments that uh, Fumino has spent with Uega during this, this little alternate root reality, whatever this is. And it's her thinking, like, oh, wow, I, I've been feeling something strange. You know, when we when our eyes meet, I, my my heart begins to raise. When I hear you name, my chest tightens, you know, like all this sort of stuff. And she's, you know, cuts then to the idea of, oh, wait, it's she cuts over the idea of like, oh, you're in love with somebody. And we cut to you, I guess, saying I've completely fallen in love with a girl called Firmino Farasha. So uh, we get this idea that the there was a big uh, class trip that i guess we didn't see before i don't think we went to the aquarium i think before because aruka was leaving like the day after graduation it didn't really happen so i don't know if maybe that's not the situation anymore and she gets to go on the graduation trip because she is here for it Mm -hmm. so everyone's along so as so chris as a result of uh fumino breaking her leg instead of Uiga, it caused the weather to change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Ruka did not have to get that early flight. Butterfly effect, Nick. The wings of a broken ankle changed monsoons. 
Uh, oh, apparently they did go to the aquarium. It was just very short. And I, I just don't remember it. But that's okay. I don't remember a lot of things. I'm a very dumb person. So everyone's there. The whole gang's there. Sekicho's there. The Rose Club or whatever their name was. The, Thor the Thorn Guild, whatever they call themselves. They're there as well. Uh, Asumi's there. She's got a little Dr. Fish plushie. It's very, very adorable. Uh, and the, the Rose Thorn group are basically like, oh, we're, we're seeing it. The two of them, something's up between them. So uh, Firmino gets lost at some point. And she's looking into, like, a tank, and she's like, oh, wow, it's a school of sardines. They're beautiful, almost like, and Uiga comes in and says, they look like stars. And they share a little moment, and she's like, how, how did how'd you get here? And he's like, well, I got separated from the group. We cut over, and one of the Rose Thorn members is, like, a little mic in her ear, and she's like, success, we managed to subtly lead the others away to get them alone together. Excellent, good job, Thorn Club. And there's, like, four of them all gathered together, doing, like, the little headset bits, and Ashumi's just to the side, like, what are, what are they doing? <laughs> I don't understand this. Uh, oh, is that where Kirisu saw herself? Okay, that was when Kirisu got knocked out and imagined herself as like a younger version of herself. Um, so, or whatever the concept of that chapter was. So, there's a small moment where like their fingers are touching and they, they, move, they move away. And, and they kind of have, like, an awkward moment of, like, yes, yeah, they, they do look like stars. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, we could, at some point, you know, at some point down the line, maybe we could do something together like that. And they're kind of still being awkward and kind of talking over each other. So the Thorn Club's just like, huh, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to make this happen? Maybe we could still, still what? And Firmino's like, nope, I can't stay. it. My, I, my friends are in love with him. And besides, he's in love with Aruka. And... Yuruka's thinking, yeah, you know, I have to respect that. Uh, what do I have the right to do? You know, after having Aruka confess to me and turning her down, you know. So, they don't really... They basically just start talking about nonsense. Like, oh yeah, about the mochi we had, etc. etc. And, uh... It's a whole little thing, but Firmino thinks to herself like, yeah, you know, one day I want to look at the real stars with you again. So they get on a train, they're headed home, Aruka sits down next to Uega, and just flicks him in the head really hard. And she says, I'm going to be so mad at you if you keep using me as an excuse not to act. And in every route, best girl. in like. every route, Aruka is the best. So uh, there's a small moment like, hey, guys, let's say goodbye. Firmino heads home. She sees her dad. And he's just like, yeah, I had some you know, research to wrap up. Uh, there's a note about. Firmino breaking her phone. So there's that. And Firmino's dad's like, Ugh, well, I was supposed to give you this message. There, done. And just throws it at her. Yeah. <laughs> and as Firmino's opening the message and reading it, Ogata shows up and says, Hey, I have to talk to you. So I stopped by. I love you. Why? <laughs> you were the you chose the wrong girl for Ogata. <laughs> You're never gonna get that pizza. Oh, and I'm so hungry every day. I just I keep waiting. I don't eat dinner because I keep expecting a free pizza to show up, <laughs> even though I wrench up that week. But I'm like, maybe some, maybe he'll tweet something about it. <laughs> maybe Nick will just go decide. <laughs> uh, but she's like, hey, do you hate yourself? Because the entire time you were on this trip. You look just like I did when I hated myself. And again, it, it pulls into one of the really good qualities about Ogata is she's very observant of people and she recognizes like situations they're in. So for me, it was just like, you know, 
being loved by my friends makes me ashamed of myself. And she's like, what if you were really into a guy and you fell in love for that guy? So you knew you had to let it go, but you just couldn't get rid of those feelings. And just by being alive, you are betraying your friends in your heart. How could you not hate yourself? Why does falling in love have to be so painful? And Ogata is like, good question. This would make, a great, this would make for great pop song lyrics. <laughs> yeah. She's like, this is a good question. What is love anyway? Or friendship anyway? Really? <laughs> so she has this. Well, you know, Chris, I heard that friendship is one soul in two bodies. Mm-hmm. In a very heterosexual platonic way. Uh She's like, hey, you know, when you sac your when you sacrifice your own feelings for your friends' sake, who does that hurt? You or your friends? I think real friends are people who stand beside you in the same ring and do battle with sometimes if necessary. Anyway, I'm gonna put on these iron knuckles now. Yeah, I, I really it's a weird phrase. I understand it. It's jump, it's a weird way of phrasing it to be like, hey, if we both love the same dude and let's go into the, the battlefield together. And it's just like we are what. young. Heartache to heartache, we stand. <laughs> no promises, no demands. We are strong. No one to tell us we're wrong. Ba, ba, Searching ba, for love ba, for so long. Ba, 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 love is ba, 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 ba. Uh, <laughs> I skipped some of the lyrics there, buddy. That's eh, fine. We, we, got, we got to the goodens. Uh, so we see the message. It's a message basically from Ruega saying... I'm supposed to tell you, I'd like to look at the real stars with you again. And the dad wrote, like, in it as well, like, a note. He's like, I have no idea what kids these days are talking about. Is this is this drugs? Are you talking about drugs? Are stars drugs now? <laughs> so Firmino looks at the note, apologizes, and say, I have to go do battle. So we're basically, I think, next chapter is going to be our big confession chapter. And then the chapter after that's a follow-up. So, Chris, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Okay. Once this manga is 100% done, we're going to look back and say, God, the Ogata one sucks the most. <laughs> Far and away. So worthless in the grand scheme of things. Um, this was a very good chapter, not just because there is the, you know, conflicted thoughts that Fumino and Yuiga are dealing with. But also because it involved Ogata and Aruka, the two other primary, the two other core, I guess we'll call them, love interests for yes. Uiga, in a way that shows how they have each grown, which was something that was sorely missing from the Ogata route, which, by the way, made it seem like Ogata had taken steps backwards in her development, as opposed to this one and the Aruka one, where it seems that she had matured and learned how to actually read people and stuff. It's crazy that the one where she gets the happy ending, she seems to have learned and grown the least. And it's frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but I actually I really, really like this chapter. Um, it's obviously a little bit melodramatic, uh, but that's fine. It's a romance. It, it, it's allowed to be. My one complaint is about Firmino's fucking fan club <laughs> getting involved and actually successfully pulling something off in order to help out Fumino and Yuiga, which seems to be missing the point of their existence. But <laughs> well, I like the idea that they're 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 hopefully they're like, like okay, you know what? She's happy. We're gonna give it this happy ending. We didn't make the entire fucking arc about them because mm-hmm. we had more depth for Fumino than we did for Ogata. At which point we were like, 
What's every character connected with Ogata? Fuck, who are some characters not even connected with Ogata that we could just connect with Ogata? That ghost girl? She's a character now. Just make it. Write something sad for her. Does that mean that in the Uruka arc, when Yuiga was uh, being all bummed about and conflicted about what to do about Uruka's feelings for him, that they went on this aquarium trip and uh, Fumino's club was like, we have to get them alone together. And Yuiga was just like, oh, I'm sad and guilty and wandered off every time that they tried to direct Fumino towards him. So he just kind of like, oh, just kind of like, you know, moped away whenever they whenever they would do it. <laughs> He, they, they, they would like push him downstairs so he couldn't get in contact with her and shit. Oh, my other leg! <laughs> I somehow fell into the jellyfish tank! Help! <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? I'm looking forward to kind of seeing the end of this. Uh, I don't love this arc, but I don't hate it either. Like, it's it's been fine. Like, it's, it's definitely, like, it's much closer in quality to Aruka's arc than it is to Ogata's, but it's still not great, you know? Um, it didn't start off great, but it got better. Over yes, time, absolutely. So. Dr. Stone. It's time <clears throat> to get stoned. <laughs> it takes a different meaning this week. <laughs> Z equals 158. <laughs> Who's the scientist? <laughs> Clearly it's Chris. So we have this color cover depicting Stan and Zeno together with Stan and in his weird cloak cape thing, only it's kind of partially off, exposing a large amount of his rippling muscles and bare torso. And Zeno is over his shoulder with his hand wrapped around his neck. You'll get a quote. What is a friend? A miserable little pile of secrets. Uh, what is a friend? A single soul dwelling in two bodies. Aristotle. Because they're just friends, Chris. They're just uh, platonic friends. And I bet, you know, I, in my mind, I'd like to say Inagaki is a smart enough author that I'm sure he looked up that the, the translation for that can definitely be a I lot of ways. different ways than friends. But at the same time, he never looked up to be like, did did Edison really invent all that stuff? So I'm not 100% certain. So... We get, um, you know, kind of a recap of like, all right, Senku knows who Zeno is, knows what he's up to and stuff like that. We get a flashback to the time that Zeno awakened. A whole bunch of people awakened all at once because of uh, uh, what Zeno you know, knew about to, what to do about stuff. Uh, at, towards the end of everyone waking up, uh, Pedro spat out the ring that he put in his mouth that they were going to use to propose to Luna. And so it happens to be made of platinum. And with this platinum, they're like, all right, good. With this, we, I can make a whole bunch of nitric acid. And that was how they were able to build up this kingdom that they have, despite the fact that uh, he woke up at the same time as Senku. So they had a bit of an edge in terms of what technology they were able to access because they got the platinum so early on. So, uh, And yeah, Zeno is like... None can threaten us now with my science and my childhood friend. Stanley's proficiency with firearms. I shall lead this new world as its unquestioned ruler. Everyone around is just like, should we? Just... What do we do? It's good, this? right? It's... <laughs> Next... Do we pick the wrong horse? We... <laughs> yeah, he's like, I believe we can do it. Isn't that right, Stan? And Stan just there like, yeah. 
we can. Because Stan's that confident. He's like, yep, yeah, we can do it. Let's rule the world. Sure, fine. Luna in the present looks over at Taiju. So she's like, okay, all I gotta do is I just gotta walk over there and I just gotta point at him and then he'll get shot and taken out. Here we go. Time, time to kill him. I'm right next to him now. Got a point to the guy. I just got a point. Got a point. Got a point. Got a point. Uh, while she is thinking this to herself, Senku's like, the Medusa is going to be our ace in the hole. And they're like, what? Can we use it again? No, the battery's dead. Okay, then how's it going to help? Well, Zeno knows how strong scientific weapons can be. He's the type to take this over this new world with them. The Medusa is a piece of super science, so there's no way he can ignore it. So that's why it's our ace. We can make it our ultimate invincible weapon. Luna acts like she's going to poke her nose and then just kind of like keeps the finger going. Like she's going to point, 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 point. And she sticks both of her fingers in her nose instead. And she's like, I can't do it. I can't have him be killed. All right. I got to do something else, though. I got to get a message across that there's a possible friend of Zeno's named Senku here. And uh, Pedro is looking through binoculars and she's like, Miss Luna saying something. And she's mouthing out the word Senku. So they relay this information and it reaches Zeno's ears. And then a minute, an instant later, we get a message over the radio that goes, Senku. But it's not from Zeno, it's from Nami. <gasps> ah, faked you out there. Yeah. Oh, I got real excited for him. I was like, Nami's in this series? No, Manami says, uh, hey, I, I, I when I went to tinker with the equipment, it started making this weird noise. It's and uh, Senku realizes it's scrambled. A message is being sent via an encrypted device. So they're like, oh, well, can we crack it? No, nah, we would need some sort of spectral analyzer. Uh, but then Ryusui realizes, hang on a second. It doesn't matter what the message is if they're communicating like that, then that means that they have someone nearby here because Luna showed up right before they started communicating that way. So after that, we cut over to Stan and he's like, yeah, okay, that guy that, that Luna was walking past is clearly Taiju. <laughs> <laughs> it takes aim with the rifle, but all of a sudden gets word from Zeno saying, don't shoot. Dr. Taiju is a decoy. The enemy's true leader is a scientist by the name of Senku. Senku Ishigami. And Stan pulls a face when he hears this. Not sure what the face is meant to imply, but he seems to be disturbed by this information somehow because he just goes, ah! And at that moment, Ryusui realizes, oh shit, there's a sniper in that tree and, and shouts out a warning to everyone. And uh, that is where the chapter ends. So... Yeah, I, I really, I really, really like this chapter. The tension as it gets towards the end is great. Uh, don't know what's going to happen. Like right now, everything seems to be up in the air. There's a lot of uncertainty. Everything feels very chaotic. And that's usually a good place to feel for when it comes to a series like this. Yeah, and suddenly we have gone completely the other direction from where we were uh, a few weeks ago, where it was like, okay, well, Zeno and and uh, Senko are on opposite sides of this. Neither of them know anything about the other. And then each of them realize that, uh, who they are. And we go back over this shared history. And so now, now instead we have this dynamic of how they both know each other. So oh. how is that going to affect things going forward when they each know their enemy uh, a bit more than they did before? So. Yeah. Very good. 
Mission Yozakura Family. Pew pew, Mission I'm boring. Mission 43 in Mittai Osano. What's that? Tayo's in jail, and Mutsumi is visiting him and crying, and they're shouting at each other while Mutsumi cries. Well, look at that. They're communicating through Morse code to say what they're actually, what is actually going on, which is the Tayo has been sent undercover to find some guy who's been killing inmates in this very dangerous prison. It's a top secret facility. How's it only the most dangerous of criminals? And we kind of like look around the yard outside as someone's like got a whole bunch of drug needles sticking out of their scalp. There are some guys that tried to climb over the fence and they got shocked. And uh, there is one joke in this that did actually kind of amuse me a little bit. There is a guard who is beating someone who just says, it's so fun to abuse my authority. It's like, all right. The fact that he's just flat out saying it as bluntly as that. Okay. He's on front street with it. Tayo is working a job for Hotokayama. Remember him? (laughs) The police contact that they introduced in like chapter six or something like that. Yeah, he finally came back. Uh, He's the one who asked Tayo to do this. Uh, Tayo is acting deliberately violently around everyone so that he will draw attention to himself because... The inmates who were murdered previously had that kind of attitude. So he does this kind of stuff. And uh, eventually this creepy looking guy knocks out the guard and comes into his cell at night. And oh, it's the killer. And he goes after Tayo. Oh, and it turns out he's another Tampopo guy because there's the Tampopo symbol on his eye. And uh, the guy's got a hidden fork shank thing that he's using to attack Tayo. And then the Tokiyama guy shows up and... uh, they beat up the guy together, and that's uh, the end. And uh, Hotokayama's going to smash the guy's skull open with a fucking hammer, and Tayo stops him. And Tayo's like, I was brought here to stop the killings. That's my mission. And then the guy's like, ha-ha, protecting the guy who tried to kill you? They were pretty messed up, but I like that. All right, I'll tell you what I know. Anyway, that doctor guy that you saw in the hospital before, Kawashita, yeah, I know about it. You should talk to him. Is a uh, 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 new gear is turning ties release. Mission's over. Done. Okay. So I don't hate this chapter. I actually really like the detective character showing back up. That feels like a character who should have been present for a lot more of this series. He seems interesting. He seems like he could be a popular character. So I'm kind of stunned it took what, like, 39 chapters or something like that for him to show up again? So but Chris, if he showed up, then we would have less time to dedicate to all the different people who are obsessed with Taiyo or Mutsumi. Because mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. So. That is true. Wouldn't so, have time for them. Can't have him. Yeah. That, you know what? That's fair. We shouldn't have enjoyable characters. We have 17 different characters who are obsessed with the leads, and we need time for them because... That's pretty good. All right. Let's wrap this up. Whew. Brisk this week. Black Clover. Black Clover, page 257. Rise to action. <laughs> so Dante is dead. Rise. But he's actually not really dead. So he's actually alive. He can still talk. He's like, holy crap. I did not believe that anyone who could fight me when going all out exists. And he's like, oh, so that's why in this humiliating state, he laughs laughs this evil smile on his face. And he says, you are really detestable. Thank you, Yami Sakahiro. 
And he says, my magic, Dante's magic is body magic. And then the devil's power boosts my ability to regenerate. So I don't age. I don't die. I don't uh, deteriorate. I'm basically immortal. Um, And now I'm going to Hulk out. (laughs) Yeah, he gets very, very big. Uh, he gets his big symbol on his chest. He has his big stupid crown. And immediately there's a bunch of fight. There's a big death thrust again. And I do like it because Yami has a line. He's like, well, I mean, you did print a giant bullseye on your chest. <laughs> so what did you really want? Uh, but he's like, hey, you know what? I, I'm very impressed by you, but I'm not going to die. You cannot defeat me. There is no phenomena. There is no one that can do anything about it you know i am unequal even if by some miracle someone with aptitude someone trained were to run a blade through my throat even in the end i would crush everything and win that is how powerful i am so thank you for making it this far because this is the best challenge i've ever had and while this whole big fight is happening asta is saying out there saying this is i i gotta get up come on body move Yami's surpassing everything he's ever done in fighting, and I'm still stuck here. He's trying to struggle. Yami uh, you know, gets blown back by attack, and it breathes a big sigh out. He's bleeding. He says, ah, it's no good. I can't beat this guy on my own. He doesn't die, and he's also crazy and gross, and his power is endless. So, hey. Yeah, Chris, how is Yami going to get out of the situation? What's going to happen? He says, I can't win this one without you, Asta. And Asta's eyes open up, and he sees a visual of all the moments where Yami's kind of been there for him and taught him things and done things. And all of that's enough for Asta to push himself back up. And we end with a big two-page spread of Asta pulling out his sword and saying, Yes, sir, as he stands alongside Yami. It was, not have, it was nice not having Asta do anything in Black Clover for a while. It was really nice. I don't know if I had ever had a moment where the wind was sucked from my sails as quickly as when they started going on about Asta in this chapter. Because it's like, no, no, you were doing fine. (laughs) I am sure that for people who like Asta, it's cool and like the relationship he has with Yami, this is a cool moment. I would personally rather have just kept him out of this but that's just me so i like this chapter a lot actually this and i get 100 percent what you're saying i think because asta has not been involved in this story for quite some time and we've just come off of two very cool kind of encounters i really really liked this is the first time in the history of black clover where asta standing up to the villain at the end felt to me as the author intended, it felt cool that Asta finally stood up and was like, I'm staying here alongside you, Yami. And granted, Asta's a very boring character. I don't know what they do, because technically, if he hits this dude, he should break his ability to use body magic, and then you can just blow him up, and I guess he's dead. I don't know. But I did like this moment, and there's a part of me that's really hoping Yami's going to take the L here for Asta. Because we're already kind of entering into this idea that 
the Dark Triad and the Spade Kingdom needs to be defeated. And Yuno is going to be going there because he has to avenge the, the Golden Dawn members who were killed. And uh, Noelle has to go in there because she has to save Laura Pachika. And it would make a ton of narrative sense if Asta also has to go in there trying to live up to something because he failed to defeat this big bad character who showed up who's one of the Dark Triad. So I'm desperately hoping that that's where we're going. But regardless, in a vacuum, I was really excited by this chapter. Well, I guess we'll see where, where it goes. After oh, that, I fully expect to be disappointed next week. I fully expect for Aston to be like, I oh, beat him. Beat this. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's gonna, like, they're going to kill this guy like in two chapters or something <laughs> like that. And that's going to be like, well, guys, why didn't you just use your anti-magic source to beat the <laughs> devil people? Come on. Yeah. Next chapter, he's going to be like, I could do an uppercut with my sword. Uppercut sword technique. Boom. And, like the dude's just like, I'm defeated. I blow. As he flies off into the distance. And then on distance. chapter five, uh, and then on page five, rather. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then on page five, Charmy shows up. By the way, uh, we had an individual in our discord uh, go through, because I made this reference. It's uh, Flamefist96 is the person. I made a joke like a, like a handful of chapters ago. I was like, I wonder if I went through Black Clover, how many pieces of dialogue from Charmy are either about food or, about or are about you know. And they actually went through and did the math on it. And from that, uh, hold on, I'm just loading it back up. About uh, 43% of all dialogue from Charmy is about food. <laughs> but did, did they count you know? Yeah, and you know is about 18%. So if you include it, it's, ba- you know, I'm not great on like... 61%. 61%, yeah. So 61%. That's, <laughs> I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's still pretty high when literally 61% of what your character says is food or you know. <laughs> they also included a separate section for law. Law, it makes up uh, 15.3% of her dialogue. Oh, okay, apparently. that's fine then. Yeah. 75% is those things? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right um that's gonna do it for weekly manga recap this week guys yeah uh, yeah so favorite chapter and mvp chris what do you got for me i think it's gonna be black clover as my chapter of the week i think i of all the chapters presented, so, i get it yeah so, so actually i, I want to just stress I don't think this was a bad week of manga, but it wasn't like a great week. Everything was good, but nothing was great is the best way to kind of describe it. And we're also missing two of the biggest like heavy hitters of, of series. So and nothing Eden blew. Zero. It's <laughs> true. Eden Zero could have blown my tits straight off. Who knows? I read spoilers. It's not going to, but it could have. Um, I don't know who I'm picking for, for MVP. I need to think about it. Uh, I am going to name uh, We Never Learn as my favorite series of the week. Okay. I thought that this was a great lead up to the big moment of probably confession and, and lovey-doveyness and stuff. Uh, but it was nice to have that moment that we never got in Ogata's story arc where, you know, the girls came forward and kind of like pushed the uh, couple of the, of the story together uh, yeah. through being good friends and good people because, you know, they were not around in Ogata's story. <laughs> sure. They weren't there. <laughs> they just kind of showed up in cameos and were like, bye. <laughs> uh, 
my favorite character, my MVP of the week is uh, it's going to be Magushan. Okay. I got a destruction. I really liked uh, the uh, way that he worked in this chapter and, uh, you know, him finding a way to get what he wanted without resorting to blowing things up was uh, was a nice, bizarre display of growth. But also yes. I like that his character, uh, th- his uh, relationship with Ruru is evolving a little bit, them getting closer. So uh, I'm going to give my MVP, because you mentioned it, uh, to Aruka from We Never Learn. I really, really like that. It's literally, what, two panels I think she exists in. She might, like be a side character couple that but it was just such a great moment to just be like you better not be using me as an excuse to not do what your heart's telling you to do it's a very nice moment she's such a very a good friend yeah yeah uh the audience uh picked i can't uh chainsaw man as their chapter of the week and the hermit crabs from magu chan apparently were the mvp this week uh okay sure guys they were cute basically. live live your dream no one's going to stop you. As I said, it was, wasn't really anything this week. Honestly, it, it's it's a weird moment. My favorite series this week was actually Undead Unluck. But I can't vote for it because we don't talk about it in the recap. But that was a really good chapter this week. By the way, Undead okay. Unluck got crazy good, too. Um, you kind of have to ignore that the premise it's built upon still exists. And that's gross and disgusting. But it's a really good series outside of that. Okay. There we go. I mean, that's kind of the conclusion we drew yeah. when we were reading it. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I should also note, as we're going through this, by the way, that uh, thank you to people who point out to us. Oh, by the way, Aki was among the list of casualties in the last chapter, which I completely missed because I kind of just tuned out the names after a certain point uh, when reading uh, so it, they did actually set up him being used as a dead body for the gun devil to possess uh, this week. Yep. So Aki's All dead right. and that makes sense. Yep. And he is uh, not going to be a character after this fight, presumably. Then again, it's, it's, it's Chainsaw Man. So maybe he won't. <laughs> so <laughs> Thank you everyone for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We do the show here on twitch.tv slash usually sometime around 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern time. But you can follow us to find out the exact time that we start streaming by following us on Twitter at WMR Podcast. Your hosts are at Rillo T and at Nick F Time. Be sure to check out our past episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. Give us feedback. Ask us questions. Suggest future manga for us. You can do all that stuff via going to our Discord channel. And from there, you can find the Google Doc that Ninja X3i maintains. That allows us to keep track of all of our recommendations, the current series that we're going through, uh, audience MVP polls, all sorts of uh, just statistics and information pertaining to every single episode of the podcast basically goes there. And you can also find out if something's been recommended and if you also want to additionally recommend it. So there. Special thanks go out to people who support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash weekly manga recap. You lost great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. Thanks to Steve Manor, tile car artist, uh, to infamous plant for making the frame for the visual stream of the show. The aforementioned F- Ninja X3, I for maintaining the Google doc and to Milo Jack Stillitz and Wednesday, I'll cheddar for the opening theme of weekly manga recap. Indeed. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>